Jesus' prayer was, your kingdom come, your will, be, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just think of that. What does it mean that we're asking God, your will, to be a part of what you want to do today? See, because Jesus' prayer for the church in John 17 was this, to be in the world but not a part of it. That's his prayer for us. And as we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians, we see that the Apostle Paul addresses the church in Corinth. We are in a series, uh, it is called, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians, called The Antidote of a Gospel-Centered Life. Now, the reason is this is, Paul was addressing the church in Corinth, and the, the, the challenge was, Corinth, though they had received the gospel, Paul had gone away, they were starting to conform more to the pattern of the world. And so he's trying to bring the church back to a gospel-centered life and, and to avoid the poisons of this world. And that's why it's this term, antidote. Um, and Corinthians really is a, a very unique book in some ways. It's a very practical book, and it's very relevant for us today. Um, Paul is speaking to the church, and in fact, all as we go through, he's dealing with issues, uh, and the letter is meant for us to kind of think of every area of our life. I think that sometimes we can fall to what I would call the man syndrome. Do you know what a man syndrome is? Well, I have heard this, that men think different than women. I heard this. And then I experienced it when I married my wife, when I realized that I have a man brain. My man brain says this, I have boxes and I have little compartments. But my wife, everything is connected. Everything is intertwined. That when I say to her money, she thinks her mother. I don't know how it works. (laughs) When we work through these kids, just like, but... I like to live in my little box. And when you talk about something, you take out of that little box, we talk about that box. It's in this box. And then after, I just put that box away. I want to live in my little boxes. But the thing is, the kingdom of God is not about living in little boxes. I think my wife actually has a more accurate picture that God wants to be a part of every aspect of our life, intertwined in all aspects and everything. Your kingdom come, your will be done on where? Earth. Now, earth is where? Everywhere. Are you a part of the earth? So the challenge is, it's like, God, I want you to be intertwined in everything. I don't want to think man the way a man would think right now. Although it's very hard for us men. We need to learn from our women. And so, <laughs> wow, there we go. Aaron did a great job last week as he was uh, sharing from 1 Corinthians and how this is supposed to affect all of our belief systems. And he talked from 1 Corinthians 7, married, single, or God's call, and the challenge of trusting God. And if you'd missed it, listen to it online. Uh, The poison of our culture is to find our, our identity in marriage or singleness, but the antidote is, no, your identity is in Jesus. That's what we're supposed to be firmed on, not our station in life, not our, you know, maybe our singleness or marriage. And I want to just, he did such a great job. I haven't wanted, I want you to give you a snippet. If you weren't here of a clip, he did such a good job. So could you just, this is a clip of Aaron's message from last week. All right. 
the pendulum had swung from this wide open door in the culture. It's okay to express your sexuality in whatever way that you want. And then it swung back the other way and became this overcorrected closed door. No more sex for anyone. Yes, that's what you just heard your pastor say from the front. (laughs) Wow. Okay. We're in a good book. Amen. We're in a good book. Aaron did a fantastic job, and, and I listen to the rest of the message, and you'll get it. You'll get the whole call, uh, the whole uh, context. Yes. So the Apostle Paul is continuing to give the church instruction. He gave us instruction about marriage and singleness. And he's telling them not to conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of their mind. And so we've tackled some big issues in Corinth that they were battling, but they're actually relevant for us today. And so this one, though, is going to get really real. In fact, probably now this, this one chapter is going to be hard because he's going to address something that is probably the biggest challenge that we have faced yet. The reason is because all of these other things he was talking about were outward uh, expressions or outward things. Suddenly, Paul is going to talk about something that's probably the most difficult, the inward, the the heart. He's going to tackle the battle of our wills. How many of you know it's easy to make an outward change, but it's really hard to change your heart? This is probably the the key issue that when you talk about all these things, it's the outward things that we do, but God is not interested in the outward stuff. He's interested in our hearts. And this is where Paul gets really, really challenging with it. Because it's easy to do that, but I'll give you an example of this. There was a young, a five-year-old girl who was having, uh, she was having one of those trouble-filled days with her mother. And it seemed they spent the whole day arguing back and forth. Finally, the mom had enough. Jenny, can you go sit in the corner right now and don't get up until I let you? So Jenny sat in the corner and... It was only a couple minutes later, or you know, a minute later, that suddenly Jenny said, suddenly bleated out, Mom, I want you to know, I'm sitting down on the outside, but in the inside, I'm standing up. <laughs> Instantly, yes, I'm doing the right behavior, but my attitude is not so good right now. Because at this point, not only is, yes, I might be compliant, but is my will actually involved? How many of you know how tough it is when you've... Have you ever had a strong-willed child? Have you ever brought up a strong-willed child? I don't. My kids are amazing. And Nathan, you're so good. We just, you know. No, I, what's, what's interesting raising up children that have a strong will is that although they think that getting their way, they are the most happy, they actually are not. In fact, they are not, they're not a cause for happiness. If you ask a parent who has a, a child who literally digs their heels in every time and says, no, 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 for just for the sake of saying no, they're not a pleasure to be around. They don't actually make everyone happy around them. You ever been in the shop, in the store, and see one child that decides their way is the best way? And the crazy part is, you can do nothing as a parent as you try to reason with them. Now, Billy, why would you want to do that? 
Well, obviously, because their will is saying, it is way better if I do get my, my choice. If I do it my way, it's way better. If I do it, and if I get this, I'm actually happier, but it's actually not the truth. You see, the teachings of Jesus, which is so counter that God calls us to die to ourselves, feels crazy and unreal. But this is what Jesus had said in Matthew 16, 24. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What a crazy paradox. If you surrender your rights, we actually gain the most freedom. Now, I, did, I love it because, again, God trying to do some confirmation. Carol, Carol this morning when she was leading worship and she said, and she stopped and said, isn't it weird how when we say yes to your will, it's a joy? Did you guys catch that in the middle of worship? She didn't know what I'm preaching on. She was going, guys, you know when you don't feel like it, but you make a decision, a choice to say, I want your joy, you'll receive it. But she said something, it's hard. How many of you know it's hard to actually say, not my will, but your will be done? Ouch. And this is the reality that Paul is trying to bring us into as he talks to this. Uh, It's not easy, and the tension of saying, God, I want to surrender my will to you. Now, to understand chapter 9, is which what I'm going to get into, you have to actually go a little bit to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of a backstory just because um, it helps to understand where Paul will get to in this idea. So just a quick idea. In, in chapter 8, Paul is asked a question. The Corinth, Corinthians asked him a question, which was this. Paul, is it okay to eat food that has been offered to an idol? That's all. Chapter 8, he is dealing with this question that the Corinthians are asking. Is eating food that has been offered to a demon okay for us as Christians? Oh. You see, in view of the freedom we have in Christ, see, because in Christianity, we don't adhere to a bunch of set rules. We're not, they're not rules. There are commandments that we follow but the weird thing about our, the way we follow them is just weird. The, 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 this is what happens. Did you know that all the Ten Commandments can be summed up in three rules? Love God, love one another, and love your neighbor. Now, we do a weird thing. We take those Ten Commandments and make them only three. That's what Jesus said. Now, here's the weird thing. The Jews did the opposite. They took those 10 and they made 613 rules because they said, if we know exactly how we do this, this is how we can fulfill being, obeying God. So the, the, the Corinthians are having a question. They're, they're wrestling through this. Okay, wait a second. How do I love God? And yet, what do I do when my neighbor comes to me and says, hey, would you like this piece of meat that's been offered to, a, to an idol? Have you been ever offered by someone who's not a Christian to do something? You're like, ah, should I do that or should I not? Yeah. What do you do? How do I love my neighbor but love God and love people? There's no, there's, tell me the rules. Is that what, what they wanted? They wanted the rules. And Paul does not tell them the rules. 
What he does, though, is he set up this. He sets up an idea philosophically and, and scripturally what his thought would be. He would says this, that, you know, and he, and he comes down to this in, because they're asking, how do we do this? How do we love God, eat, and yet eat food to idols? And how do I love my neighbor offered, you know, that's given me meat that, how do I do this? And, and this is what he says. Paul says it's actually okay to do something. He goes, verse eight, but food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we eat meat, no better if we do. Think about it. There is nothing in, that can surpass God's grace in, Christ, in Christianity. There's nothing that actually says, if you do this, you will lose your relationship. That's what he's saying. So he's like, so what he's just said is everything's, you could go for it. It's not, if you understand that you're okay with that, but then he does something which is absolutely crazy. He pulls out a trump card. Do any of you guys know what a trump card is? If you've ever played cards, I love playing cards. Love it. A trump card is this. As you're playing cards, you have to follow suit, right? But then suddenly somebody has a card that supersedes the cards laid. A trump card could be a lower number, but because it's that trump, it actually supersedes it. It takes over. Paul ends out a trump card. He says, you can, you know, you can eat and nothing's wrong. And then he says, but unless you have stopped loving other people. Suddenly love becomes the trump over your freedoms. You can do whatever you want, except if you're breaking love. What? Yes, you have a right to do whatever you want unless you're not loving. And, that, and you have to get this idea, what he's trying to talk about, because it will get us to chapter 9. Because he says this, this is what he says at the very end of chapter 8, in verse 13. He says, but food does not, or sorry, he says, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. And all the vegetarians said, amen, brother, Amen. No, no. He's saying it's not about a matter of eating and eating meat or not eating vegetables. He says, I would not eat meat if it caused someone else, if I was not loving someone else. Now, I don't know, but that just throws me because I love my meat. All the meatitarians in the house said, oh, preach it, brother. Preach it, pastor. Amen. How would you give up meat? Oh, Lord, forgive me. Save me. I don't know. I don't, how do you get delivered from meat? I don't know. But Paul is throwing this question because now we're going to get to chapter 9. And Paul is actually using an illustration, his life, of how he is living out, surrendering his rights. And I want you to get this picture because it's the hardest part about living a Christian walk. Verse 9, if you want to follow along, I have the scriptures up here, you can follow along with it. It says, uh, he says, it starts off, am I not free? Am I not apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we have the right to take a, along a believing wife as the other apostles, as the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, which is Peter? So Paul is setting up this idea. He says, he's giving attention. Look, I'm an apostle. 
I've seen Jesus. I've worked hard for the Lord. I deserve the rights because of what I've put into you. Because of what I've done, Paul explains that as a person who planted the church and pastored it, he actually has the right to receive support from them. He's actually saying it's not bad to pay your pastors. It's not bad. It's not bad to say I will care for you as you care for the flock. Paul says I actually have a right to this. I actually have a a reason Peter gets paid, these guys get paid, why I have a right to do this. Paul's explaining to them through his illustration, but then he comes to this in verse 12. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed by the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in their sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. I should get paid, but, but I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing to you these things to secure any sort of position. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my good ground of boasting." Why is he giving up his rights? Why is Paul giving up what he deserves? Why is he giving up his rights to a comfortable life, choosing not to take money? Why is he doing this? He is absolutely so counter to our culture right now. Because he had made a choice to be a tent maker. That's, that's Paul's profession. He knew that he was called to be a pastor, but he's now working on the side And you ask the question, why? Why would you do that, Paul? It's his choice. And in verse 18, he says, what then is my reward? Why am I doing it? What's the reward for me not taking my rights? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as to make full use of my right in the gospel. And then he starts to explain, he goes, for "For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jew, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became one under the law. To those that have rules, I became one under the rule so that I could share with them Jesus. To those outside the law, to those that don't live by any rules, I became like one that doesn't live outside the rules so I can share Jesus with them. That's what he's saying. But he even goes on. To the weak, I became weak. Then I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people. Think about that. I have given all this to, for people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Why are you giving up your rights, Paul? Why would you give up money? Why would you give up these things? And Paul gives it for one reason, that the gospel may go farther. He's willing to surrender all of his rights for one simple reason, that other people would know Jesus. Wow. Well, why this is so counter is, what do you think is the poison for us in our culture? In a culture that says you get what you deserve, 
In fact, we push more of our rights than any other. I think, what's my rights? I, I find it very fascinating that I think our, our, our whole culture is behind. The poison is keeping your rights is actually paramount. Getting what you deserve is the most important thing. And now I, I ask this question, especially for those people who have a high sense of justice. How many of you like it has to, like if it's fair, it better be done right. Like if you don't get what you deserve, it makes you so mad. How many of you aren't there, out there? I knew my, I was like, I literally, we were, we were driving one time and, and I, we, we had this conversation, Nikki and I. Is it okay if I share this? Because it's the truth. Uh, <laughs> I, I said to my wife, I said, you, you know, I, I told her, you know, we should do that. And we should, you know, oh, I see something. And she goes, I think we need to go and park, like, park right behind that, this car or something. something like that. We need to park right here because if we don't park here, you know, I think we'll block the little bit off the person's thing. And I said, I said to, I said, honey, I have a question for you. If we didn't do the right thing, what would you do? And I said, how would you live your, with yourself if we didn't do the right thing? Because <laughs> in her heart, it's like, I have we got to do what's right. It's important to do what's right. Rights and justice are important. And, and I actually, that's why God put her with me, because otherwise I, I, chaos would reign. Our kids would probably have, they would have died of pizza overdose a long time ago anyway. But I digress. Anyway, the centered, the gospel-centered life says, I am going to surrender my rights And that's what Paul is doing. In chapter 8, he talks about giving up your right to love somebody. And then chapter 9, he's going, I'm going to show you my life, what it looks like. I am giving up my right even to finances for one reason. And it's important to share the gospel. The antidote of the gospel son life is centered by surrounding out. Surround, or surrendering our rights. So the question is, how does, God, how does Paul give up his rights then? Because again, this is counter to our culture. It's counter to everything. This is where you're going to hit your will. If you have an understanding that you, like Paul said, I do not do the things that I want to do. I know the good that I'm supposed to do, but I don't do that. Paul understood that we have a problem within us. It's our will. And so when we're praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, it's the first part of the prayer because it's the most important. This is the part that we are challenged with. This is the part where the demonic literally comes in and actually wants to keep a hold on our systems because we're thinking it's our will. It's pleasing to us. Isn't that the deception he gave to Eve? It's good to the eye. In fact, what I find interesting is the debate is which right is more important. Is it the freedom of right of religion? Is it the freedom of speech? Is it the freedom to choose? Is it the freedom of... We have even arguments to try to figure out. And I I find it going to be interesting when our freedom of religion is suddenly wrestling through our freedom. Other people saying, no, you don't have the right to speak that because it's discrimination. And it is... People are saying that's what's happening. That even last year, what I found interesting with the government was simply, hey, if you don't agree with this, you know what, you, you might lose some funding because as, you know, the government's saying, if you don't agree to these standards, and we're wrestling through as Christians going, we have a moral, we have a moral belief that God wants us to live by. How can I say yes to this? 
But Jesus showed us a different model. He, he said, he actually showed what it means to give up his rights, didn't he? If you want to read Philippians 2, Paul talking to the Philippian church, he says, you know, don't do anything out of ambition, conceit. Just be like Jesus, who made himself nothing, took on the form of a man. He left heaven. He left all his rights so that you could be saved. He actually even endured a cross. Follow him. Be his, follow that example is what Paul says. Now, please note, as Christians, I'm not saying you shouldn't be advocates for human rights. In fact, I think we should be the ones that actually promote those because we're thinking not about ourselves, but other people. When I'm saying that we are actually people who love other people, we would stand up for those who have uh, lost things and Lord, or that injustice is happening or in social justice that, need, that they need. We would be the first ones. Did you know that most of the people that made changes in our world were Christians because they stood up against slavery or they stood up against saying, I believe that there should be equality for both black or Jew or whatever. It was Christians that stood up for those saying this is right. But were they fighting for their own rights? That's the difference. How do we live this? This is what Paul's going to Now, there's two thoughts that he wants to give to us because he wants us to, to help us to not live by this culture. And so how he is able to surrender them. He does it by this. The first thought is be intentional. You see, I think that for us to fight that idea, this, this concept, you have to actually make decisions. You have to be intentional. And Paul's saying, don't lose sight of a goal. And what Paul will propose, he'll ask a question. He's going to simply say, what really matters? What is really important? That's what I want you to think about. If, if you were to ask for yourself, what is important Go by what that is. And he says this, for example, verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Paul is going, what's the most important thing right now is me sharing Jesus. His most important thing, he got an idea of if I don't tell people Jesus, there is trouble. Because he, at one point, didn't know Jesus. And he understood that as he was living a life away from Jesus, he was actually going towards destruction. Do you, most people even think that they're going to destruction? Paul goes, I actually understand that the world does not have a grid, and what they need to know is they need to be saved. Well, saved from what? Destruction. Did you know that when we live for ourselves, we're actually going to a place that's not helpful? Living for yourself is actually not going to lead you to life. And so Paul uses this metaphor. He says, I am so focused on sharing Jesus. He goes like this. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So, that, uh, so run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He's going, listen, I have this thought. Live like you are a runner. 
Have you, have you guys, any of you guys ever done like running or any sort of thing? You guys are amazing because I, I, I don't know how you, like, for me, running is, that was part of the fall of mankind. When, when Adam and Eve took the, the apple, the first thing they did is they ran, right? So it, it is demonic. That's what happened. Seriously, they hid, they ran. Because it's so foreign. Like this, but he goes, uh, no, but you have to understand what a runner is like. A runner is absolutely disciplined. They have a goal. They have a thought. This is what is life and is meant to be. Just get to that line. And that's what Paul says. I'm intentionally thinking every day, what is my life? What really matters? Do you know you care about a lot of things that really don't matter? And that's what the enemy wants us to do. Always get us pumped up on things that if you actually were to die tomorrow, would it matter? I know this, that when you suddenly are hitting an idea that you were to die, I bet you your life would change right now because you wouldn't be doing the things you'd be doing. You'd think completely different. I'm going to give you an example of someone that, who has an idea of what does it mean to be intentional, to actually think that this is the most important thing, and this is going to cross their rights. I'm going to tell you a story that just impacted me this, this year, actually. It was a story on October 2nd, 2019. It was uh, Brandon Jean. Brandon Jean is the brother of Botham Jean. And there was a, I saw a clip that I'm going to share with you that, of what Brandon did Brandon um, illustrates for us what it means to be a Christian surrendering our rights because what he does is um, he, he forgives a lady named Amber Geiger but why he forgives her is because Amber Geiger actually killed his brother. Amber Geiger is a, uh, a she was off duty she was ex-police officer she's uh, now actually she was sentenced to 10 years in, in prison she went home one day. She thought she was entering her own apartment, but she had actually gone one floor up. And so she op- opened the door, and there was Botham eating cereal. And she thought she had a stranger, so she pulled her gun out and shot him twice. And so now is the hearing. And what happens is Brandon is now at testifying as she got 10 years. The crazy part is most of the people outside, this white lady killed a black guy and their rights and out as an officer. And they were screaming because she only got 10 years. She should have got, they were like, this is not fair. I want to show you what Brandon does. I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. And... I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because 
I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. Who would ever give up their right? Who would ever give up their right to say, I forgive you to a person who murdered your brother? It's crazy. I can tell you though, Botham was, or Brandon was very intentional. He knew that he had to do something. He knew that forgiveness is, an, is intentional. He knew that being kind is an intentional action. He knew that if he gave her a hug, so intentional. And this is what Paul's saying is, I surrender all my rights. I surrender what I deserve so that I can show Jesus and I can present the gospel in whatever way it looks like. And that's what it means. That's what he's talking about, fighting that will for us where he goes, no, I get what I deserve and it's not fair. And he's going, I give that up. That people would know Jesus. His forgiveness, the best thing you could know is someone who forgives you, loves you. You see, reaching people is that intentional choice and asking God to fill us with his love, but it has to be followed up with obedience and intentionality. I was really impressed. We had a couple weeks ago, Randy Wangle was sharing about how we have all these dreams. How many of you would love to see your neighbor get saved or help share the gospel, man? He said, we have all these dreams. But I tell you what, often God's not waiting. We're waiting for God to do something and God's waiting on us. He said, often what you need to do is just take and be intentional. What could you do to make that happen? And he said, here's a real simple plan. You want to share the love of Jesus? Be intentional. Here's a thought. For two weeks, just pray, God, who do you want me to show love to? That's a plan. For two weeks, I did that. I said, okay, I'm going to... And then he said, after the two weeks, you need to be accountable. Tell someone that you are going to share this with once you figure out who God is wanting you to share love with. So I text a buddy. Are you okay? In two weeks, I'm going to tell you who I've been praying that God wants me to share with. Okay. And then a week after that, I'm going to pray. And how do I share? Because I don't want to just do, I want to do it something that it's just, now the crazy part is goes, and after that month, you have one month, you are actually going to do something that you weren't going to do a month before. Why? Because you just decided to be intentional. You prayed, you asked God, And what if, by doing that, 
You, you don't have to add in the results. You don't have to change the world. All you have to do is be obedient, but it takes intentionality. Hey, Walter, you could steal that. Two weeks, just pray. You know, a week later, say, tell someone, tell, you know, tell Aaron, he likes you. And, and, and just, you know, tell Aaron and say, hey, Aaron, I wanna, I'm gonna, this is what I want to pray for. That's all you need to do. Intentional. I like you too, by the way. Anyway. The last part is this, and this is where it gets interesting. He talks about dealing with our idols. This is the very important part because in First uh, Corinthians nine, again, there's a, a jump to ten because it it connects. He says, deal with your idols. You see, for us to deal with our will or to surrender our will, we're going to have to face something. It's called an idol. What is an idol? An idol is an image or representation of a God used as an object of worship. But it's rec- the recent definition has also added a person or thing that is greatly admired, loved, and revered. American idol. What are the things that you love and really, really like that are really important to you? Well, this is important because when we consider the time and the energy that we put into things, to surrender your will, this is where it gets interesting. What if you have idols, things that you don't want to give up? <gasps> Paul's going to address this. You see, the first two commandments were this. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love him, and do not make an image. The very first two commandments are to deal with making God first and deal with nothing that will replace him. No idols. Why do you think it's the first two commandments? Because this is where you get your will. If you say, God, I, I want to do what I want because I want to worship what I want and I want to do what I want and I want to have God in my image, these are the first two you're going to hit. And so Paul in chapter 10 gives a parallel illustration with Israel. Did you know that Israel was called by God? They had this massive deliverance. They were brought through the Red Sea and Israel had received like literally the, the, the word of God. Fire coming down from the mountain. They were fed through the desert. They had God right with them. But guess what their biggest problem was? Idols. Number one thing that kept dragging them down was this right after receiving even a time where God's word was, they're going to worship a golden calf. And this is what he says in chapter 10, verse 6. Now these things in Israel took place as examples for us that we may not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. Now look at this. This is crazy. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose to play. What? Idolatry is eating, drinking, and playing? Ah, whoa, Paul, I don't get it. Uh, Connect some dots for me here, buddy. How many of you know you need to eat, drink, and play? If you have bypassed that, you're a plant. Like, <laughs> you're, you're literally a tree. I love you. You're great. Uh, you, you bring us oxygen. But all of us need to eat, drink, and play. But Paul is suddenly saying, this was a difference. The eating and drinking and playing became idolatry. Ah. 
The most important thing in your life is eating and drinking and playing. It's the pleasure, the things that of those that get so wrapped up. The poison of the culture is that when we make eating and drinking and playing is that suddenly the drift is it's all about me again. And suddenly me becomes an idol. How many of you know that the biggest obstacle for doing God's will is you and me? And so Paul is going to throw a thought that's the curveball of all curveballs. It's the challenge of all challenges. He's going to say to us, right without, without any bashfulness, he says this, get over yourself. Get over yourself. He sees as all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but all, not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. In other words, he's saying, you can do everything, but just this, don't think about yourself, think about others is the challenge. And then he turns this in 31, he says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. See, it's not about eating and drinking and playing, it's not that, it's are you going to do that for the glory of God or are you going to do it for yourself? What is the idol what is the orientation? What is you saying, God, I, even my eating and my drinking and my playing is for you? That's crazy. Because again, I would have little compartments. I go to church. I have my devotions. And then by about, at night, I want to do my own thing. And God's saying, that's not the way I live. Get rid of that man brain. Your thoughts are like Man. I want you to have, like Mary, who said, I'm your servant. Do as me as you want. And so I'm going to close with this last illustration because it's the most important for me, and I stole it, so I love it. Steal unashamedly. What does it mean to actually orient your thinking and changing yeah, the illustration was I was going out to the car and leaving. No. <laughs> oh, here we go. Can you help me with the door here? Just Because so oh, I don't want to wreck the... There we go. There we go. All right. Ah. Now, this illustration was I stole from Francis Chan, and he used it with a rope. I don't have a rope. I have a long extension cord. But it works. And what Francis did is he showed this illustration. He wanted to talk to his kids as a youth pastor. He said, I want to show you something about what's crazy with our life and what we think. He goes, I want to show, just imagine if this extension cord, this rope is, your, is, is an illustration. Imagine if this is a timeline. It is a life. It's a timeline of actually your life. And you know what, at this, this line, imagine this, this line here is actually an extension. It goes on out the door, it continues, it goes out the, out the wall, and it goes around. In fact, it goes on forever. It, it, it does not end. This rope continues and will never cease. But this timeline is you. 
And for the world, this is what's so crazy. The world says, now if you think about this part, this part at the very, this beginning part is your life here on earth. You will have a beginning and you will have an end. And then after this, you will go into eternity. Your life will be somewhere. And the crazy part is, whatever you do here determines where you go here. Think about this. Now our world says we are so preoccupied by this. We go like this, wow man, I can't wait to, you know, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna go to work here. Oh, I, I'm actually gonna get married right about here. Oh yeah, I can't wait for that to happen. And, and I, I got that. Yeah, okay, we're good, we're good. No, no, but no, I'm gonna save, save, save some money, like lots and lots. I wanna get some money so that at this point, near kind of here, at this point, I wanna go, I wanna go, I wanna go on a travel. I wanna just retire. I wanna be able to just enjoy some really good stuff for here. And then, and, and that's, that's what I wanna live for. Paul is saying, that is the most craziest way to live. Because what if you were to pass away tomorrow? We are preoccupied with this, but the reality is this is going to go on forever. What matters? What's the most important? And he even says this, I love Francis Chan says, people might say as Christians, you live a really dumb life. How would you not care about this? Why are you not caring about this? The comforts of this world. Why are you not caring about your, you know, why would you give to a church? Why would you do any of this? And Francis goes, you think I'm done? I think actually you're pretty dumb if you don't think about this. Would giving up some this, if it meant to this, and changing other people's lives, is it worth it? And that's what Paul is getting at. He gets at and he says, I understand something I am gripped by. I'm not going to let these idols in here be something that distracts me from what I see as an eternal perspective. So whatever I eat and drink, whatever I do, I want to think this way. See, because it's not about eating and drinking. It's, it's not about these things. It's just that I want to be, I want to get my eyes off of the eating and drinking and suddenly realizing there are friends around me, people around me, things that are that, in fact, God can use my eating and drinking for his glory. You want to make a difference? Invite somebody to your house for a meal. All of us have tables. But you know what? Sometimes that means you're going to sacrifice your rights, your me time. Maybe the game. Maybe your whatever playing and, or you and God saying just, are you willing to surrender? That There is really no idols. In fact, you could use those things for my glory. Invite someone to the game. Come hang with me. Someone who doesn't know Jesus make a radical difference in their world.